Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Colin Goundon the CEO of Via Science. Colin, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So if you would, um, we were talking about the weather a little bit and artificial intelligence. And you know, I mentioned that uh, when I try to use Google search, I'm in Austin, Texas, but it thinks I say Boston. But um, we'll get into AI shortly. So can you talk about Via Science? What do you guys do there? What kind of projects do you work on? Yeah. Uh, so Via science, we develop software to identify uh, risks to critical infrastructure, like when the power might go out at a hospital or when a transmission line might that's uh, you know transmitting electricity might need repairing. So, you know, the the short version is there are lots of risks in the world, and how do you identify when something's going to go wrong, and then do something? Hopefully, you know, intervene and do something uh, about it. So, um, of course, not all hospitals are the same and not all transmission lines are the same. Um, so when you have, uh, if you only have, you know, a few hospitals or a few transmission lines, there are lots of ways to do it. Uh, but if you care about all the hospitals in New York State or uh, or in the state of Texas, or if you care about all the transmission lines in, in China, then you need a lot of scale. And our software is very, very good about this very big uh, scaling and has a patented engine to be able to look at um, identifying and prioritizing risks to thousands or millions of pieces of equipment. And we use a sort of specialized branch of mathematics and AI to do that. Yeah, so let's talk about a simple use case. I don't know if the hospital power is simple. Or what's an interesting one to you that we can delve into and how it works? Yeah, so uh, uh, lots of ways that this can be deployed. In the case of hospitals, for example, one might imagine that you know you're as a state agency, you care a lot about understanding you know when the power might be lost to uh, you know uh, to a particular hospital. So it turns out that um, you know if you will, if there's a power outage to your home. Now, that's a problem, uh, but the uh, you know evacuating your home may or may not be necessary. If uh, if there's a uh, an outage to a hospital, that becomes pretty problematic. And uh, evacuating a hospital can t- you know the ICU in a hospital can take you know ten times the resources right of evacuating a neighborhood, for example. Or uh, yeah. and so the uh, uh, really understanding what are the factors that go into what's the I can't protect all the hospitals equally, and frankly, they don't all need to be protected exactly. Identically equally, some have higher risk than others. So I want to be able to use my, uh, you know, state funds and you know uh, uh, resources to protect those assets as efficiently as possible. And I, you know, I, I probably want to look at things like not just the. You know, there are lots of people who can look at, and, and companies already do this, looking at sort of the transmission parts. So what's the equipment leading up to the? Uh, you know, how old is the equipment that's leading up to the hospital, or how? Um, you know, are there backup generators? The other kinds of things, though, that are uh, harder to get, and but just as important are, you know, the power lines above ground or below ground. Are there big trees near the power 
lines, what's the weather, you know, next to the power, you know, in the, of that particular, uh, you know, hospitals area. So account, you start to add up a lot more factors than just sort of the equipment state, but actually contextual information and, uh, and gathering that and, uh, you know, you know, can be difficult. And, and so AI can be used in sort of partly part of gathering that from satellite imagery or from drone imagery and being able to, you know, automate the process of figuring out where power lines are and how close the trees are to those lines, et cetera. Uh, and then being able to actually figure out, well, which of the, you know, which of these hospitals is, uh, you know, might be more at risk than another. So, um, you know, two hospitals may have power lines very, very close to each other, but that, uh, you know, each the pet lines are 20 feet away from each hospital, but are they actually the same risk factors? Probably not. And, and so being able to make that calculation is, you know, across hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of you know, critical pieces of infrastructure is sort of a tricky bit. This sounds um, like your first job really is intelligence gathering. It sounds like you have to go to many, many sources that people may not even think of in order to get this data, first of all, and then you need a system to process it. So, I mean, tell me about the first part of it, which you have yeah, a lot. You know, the, how do you yeah, figure out you know even the data you need? Yeah, that's actually, it's a great question. You know, it's a funny thing because I think uh, we live in a world where we have, you know, these consumer, you know, we all have our phones with us. We all we kind of think about having, being connected and having data everywhere all the time. And, and people talk about big data all the time. But in the, you know, we actually... Uh, we are we actually face in many ways a world of small data or not you know what we might call sparse data. You have data sometimes but not all the time. So um, we, you know we live in this funny space where uh, we know you know the uh, the electrical grid is you know arguably one of the most complex pieces of uh, equipment ever made, and uh, you know we have sensors and data from some of it, but we'll never. In fact, in my I bet in my lifetime we will never have you know, a sensor and, and uh, data coming from all pieces of the grid at all points in time, right? The, the, it's just too complex to have that. Uh, you know, something is always going to be offline. Something's always going to be overlooked. It's, you know, it's too, too massive in a way to, to, to do that. And so how do you figure out? So there, there is this issue, which is in very, very complex systems, you've always got these, you know, places where you don't necessarily know what's going on or, or you don't, you, you have these blind spots. And actually, that's uh, an area where we, you know, we decided that we, uh, you know, if if you have perfect data, there are probably lots of places you can go. But if you uh, live in the real world in very complex systems where you don't have uh, perfect data, then actually that's uh, an area where we kind of specialize in. And and it's a good area for AI where you start to look at, uh, you know, uh, you know, moving beyond what's sort of traditional rule-based systems, you know, if then, if I see this, then I should do this. Well, yeah, what happens when I have a world that's more nuanced, more probabilistic, more uncertain, you know, that's where, uh, you know, sort of an AI engine can be, more, you know, uh, can be, can be uh, more efficiently deployed or has a lot of potential, I guess, you know. Hmm. Um, okay, so you gathered the data, now the AI system, how are you going to process all this disparate data? You have drone surveillance, so it's looking at where power lines may be, and then maybe you're looking at the load <clears throat> on the power lines to hospitals, and that may fluctuate. You're looking at weather conditions. I mean, this is all like very different data. How are you going to boil it all down into an answer or a prediction? Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think the, um, I'd say the uh, uh, being able to do, deal with very different or disparate types of data is actually is a specialization in, in and of itself, right? So you have to be good at both uh, things that are, uh, you know, different in uh, sort of regional, geographic, geospatial kind of data, and you have to be good at time series kind of data. So you have the, uh, you know, things, you know, where something is located and then how it's changing over time. And um, uh, that integration is sometimes uh, very tricky. But the, the, the good news actually is that um, over the last 10 years, I'd say as, as, uh, you know, cloud computing has become more prevalent and, you know, there are more and more sources of data available, you know, um, publicly, the, uh, the ability to kind of uh, aggregate and, and access image, whether it's imagery or weather, et cetera, has become much more commonplace. And so, you know, what we're seeing actually is, uh, whereas, let's say, 15 years ago, if you wanted to be able to, uh, you know, look at an image and identify whether something is a tree or a building, you might have had to do that by hand. You might have needed a specialist, right, to be able to do that. Today, you can pick an, you know, now it's open source, you can basically pick an algorithm, uh, one of a dozen algorithms to be able to identify this is a, a tree or a, or a building. And so uh, getting, getting the, uh, taking the data and then converting it into useful information, like, um, like uh, you know, this is a tree and this is a building and this is the distance between them. That's actually become very, very uh, automated over the last few years. Uh, so then it's a matter of you know being able to say, well, how do I you know now now it comes the processing piece, which is how do I know whether that's an important factor or not? And that's kind of our you know area of specialization. You know what we what we've seen is that um, the there are so many. Uh, there's so many variables, right? That that and potential uh, potential things that might have an impact. The the hard part is actually knowing, uh, you know, which how do I balance whether something is actually really meaningful input or whether it's just sort of random noise. Right? It may, and and that's mm. another area where there are. Uh, all kinds of uh, new techniques that have been developed, particularly we, we use a, a, a branch of mathematics or uh, statistics, Bayesian statistics and Bayesian networks around that's very good at being able to pick out whether something is, you know, really meaningful or whether it's actually, you know, just random, you know, just a random event, uh, whether those two, you know, two things are really correlated or whether they're actually in some way maybe cause and effect relationships. Hmm. Okay. Um how far down the path are you with the hospital implementation or are there other use cases that you've gotten really, really far along with and you could talk about results and, you know, how good your algorithms were able to predict such and such and surprises you learned from it? Yeah. So uh, we've actually, um, you know, when a, the area of IoT and AI, I think of as being um, sort of very infrastructural kind of uh, kind of technology, and really, you know, kind of like the uh, you know the internet during the the uh, during the '90s, right? And and really, what matters is the actual end application, like uh, you know whether that's Google as a search engine or Wikipedia for content or uh, Amazon for shopping, and and uh, so we've actually well, the core technology we use is, is AI, is, has a lot of mathematics and AI under, underlying it. The end applications 
uh, are uh, are things like being able to identify when a piece of equipment might fail, for example. And so, um, uh, we're actually uh, working with. Uh, uh, Tokyo Electric Power Company. It's the fourth largest utility in the world, and uh, we have uh, uh, we're looking at certain pieces of, um, of transmission equipment to identify when they might fail, and when uh, and how to and um, and and therefore when you might go replace those pieces of equipment. Uh, what we find is, you know, to your point about results, one of the interesting things we see <laughs> is that the uh, that the even over 15, the, you know, the the country like Japan is a gigantic country. There are it takes years really to collect a lot of data around when something might go wrong. So they they actually face this sparse data problem of not having a complete set of information about every piece of equipment and measurement. And so uh, the the tricky bit is being able to identify. Um, you know, when even with a very, very small set of data or, you know, a limited sub sample of data, can you still make some, uh, can you still make uh, some kind of call or judgment about when something's going to go wrong? So that, that's kind of a, the first step. The, um, uh, the, the other thing, actually, is it turns out there that we've seen, in, and this relates to being in a, in a regulated industry, is uh, you know, really understanding why something is happening and uh, providing some explanation. And I think one of the, you know, the biggest drawbacks to AI right now is around uh, the black box nature of the technology. So you have some input, mm. you have some output, and like nobody knows what's happening in the middle. And the issue with that is, you know, regulated industries are often, you know, they're regulated because they're high stakes, you know, whether that's healthcare or whether that's electricity or whether that's, you know, communications. And um, you, you, we regulate them because before someone makes a change, whether they replace a part or whether they don't replace a part or whether they maintain or, uh, you know, whatever they do, they need to have a sense of the consequence could be very high, you know, losing power. Right or uh, losing communications, so uh, no one wants to make that decision without really understanding why. And uh, a lot of AI is not very helpful in that way if without without an explanation. So part of the other thing that we you know we've been specializing in is a new branch of AI called explainable AI, where you know you you are trying to demystify that uh, that intermediate uh, intermediate part and say, actually provide to a user. Uh, not just here's what's you know here's what might happen sort of a traditional predictive algorithm of this part might fail, but here are the top two reasons or three reasons that we believe that this might fail. It's close to the ocean. It's cut you know it has a high salt. It has you know the a combination of the age of this component plus the fact that it's right near the ocean, uh, and there's a you know high saline levels or you know high you know a lot of brine in the air that basically is is dry it may gives us a much higher probability of failure than something else. Uh, and you, you, the uh, we see that as 
in these regulated industries, uh, people need to trust their the algorithms. They need to trust what the, the in order to make these high stakes decisions. And and without that explainability, basically, you know, nobody, you know, people people actually have what some call sort of algorithm aversion. They don't trust the machines to do the right course of action. And so, um, you know, we we see that as kind of being the most important thing. Is is not just it's better to have an explanation than it is to have just you know, the, the highest accuracy on its own. Yeah, well, I've heard that there's um, an emergent property or phenomena called machine intelligence. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, um, you know, they had a machine play uh, brick breaker, you know, where you have a ball <laughs> and it mm-hmm. smashes these bricks. And, and they, <clears throat> an article I read said that they, you know, trained a machine AI to work on it. And at first it was terrible. And then it got good. Mm-hmm. And then it became as good as the best players in the world. And then it fa- found ways to, beat the game that humans had never even found. So, you know, I've also talked to people that are using AI to create um, parts, you know, either machine parts or, uh, you know, drone, I don't know what you call it, the uh, the drone skeletons. And machines are coming up with designs that actually look like nature, but people have never, yeah. people wouldn't conceive of it. So it seems yeah. like there's an emergent property called machine intelligence. And I know people want to understand yeah. it and know exactly what the algorithms are doing, but they may not be able to because, you know, it's, it's kind of scary in a way because we're making AIs to do, to do things. And while they're very limited and under our control, it's fine. But, you know, if there's a general AI, um, it's going to be doing things that we have no clue how it does. And they may be for well, us or against us, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, so there are a couple of things that's the, the, um, uh, I, I've always said that, uh, uh, every movie you've ever seen of a machine making a final decision ends up badly, right? You know, the, whether the War Games or the Terminator or the Matrix, right? There are all these movies that came up that are, uh, that, uh, you know, where, you know, the final decision, you know, the world ends in some catastrophe because the computer made some decision or, or became sentient in some way. And I think the, uh, uh, so we've, uh, we've a view that actually the, the 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 next set of AI really is about combining the best of people and the best of, of AI, and not and, and so uh, we have to do you know both things. One is we can make the AI algorithm smarter by incorporating some of our um, some of our own uh, you know subject matter expertise. So. Um, uh, you know, a simple example, it's true that machines can do calculations very, very quickly and, you know, millions of them faster than any person can do. But, you know, a three-year-old can tell you that uh, if the, uh, you know, if there's a, if it's, uh, if it's raining, there'll be, a, you know, a lot of umbrellas and it's the rain causing, you know, people to carry umbrellas. Computers actually really struggle with that causal concept. They actually, the idea of, you know, they could count up the number of umbrellas that, that people have with the amount of rain on any given day and figuring out which is driving which is actually very, very tricky for a computer to do. And it's a whole different branch map to, to get. And, uh, but people being able to provide some of the, what we call causal anchors to be able to make them smarter is something that we, you know, we see can, can be very powerful uh, and improve, you know, the, improve the AI algorithms. But, and then the, the, the transparency piece, which is, um, you know, getting back to like, why is something actually of use or why is something, you know, why, why is something doing, you know, something different than, than you might not have, uh, a person might not have thought of, you know, what's 
there, I think what's funny is actually um, hindsight can be twenty twenty. So it uh, turns out that a person may not have thought of the end result, right? So, oh, this new design wasn't possible. Or this new design, I, I wouldn't have thought of on my own. I didn't generate that new. But once someone has actually, once you actually see it, a person can look backwards and go, oh, I see why now, right, once I investigate. And we, we've actually seen that in many, many cases where um, usually when we produce some results for some customer, we see that the, uh, you know, there'll be, you know, some section of results where people go, oh, yeah, I already knew that, right? Those are things that are well known. There'll be some other right. segment of results where they'll say, oh, you know what? I didn't know that, but that makes total sense to me. And then there'll be some third set where they go, that can't possibly be true. And usually the most interesting things are in the can't possibly be true part. And But once they investigate it, where they actually, they may seem completely counterintuitive. Once they investigate it, they actually go, oh, I see you know, I can understand it, but it takes some time to do that. And what, what we're trying to do is make those explanations actually more transparent and, and um, you know, to people. There are some, there's some, uh, you know, uh, difficulty about that too, which is making, you know, usually any explanation is a simplification and a simplification may sometimes omit, you know, some nuance and it may not be a hundred percent. So, you know, we try to caveat any explanation by saying, you know, Let's be clear. There's a, there'll be some positive. Though the, it won't be a hundred. The explanation may not be a hundred percent, but it'll get you sort of. I'll get the human to a large part of the way of understanding sort of you know the actual drivers or what's happening. Well, so tell me some of your insights. I mean, you're on the inside of AI. You know, mm-hmm. what strange emergent phenomena have you seen that you were able to explain or not explain? You know, give me some specifics on it if you can. Uh, yeah. So. Um, uh, let me think of uh, let me think of an example that might come to mind. Um, uh, so the uh, I think you had on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you had Robert Muga from the uh, Igarape Institute talking about uh, crime mm. in, in Rio de Janeiro, and that was uh, we had actually uh, worked with him on uh, some of you know in developing some of the algorithms. And one of the you know interesting sort of things that comes great. out is. He, yeah, he is a great guy, and and you know, and such great work they're doing, right? To be able to you know yeah. reduce crime in a, in a city like Rio de Janeiro, right, the homicide capital of the world, practically. And uh, I think uh, uh, if you looked at the you know uh, the sort of traditional analysis or traditionally looking at the the city of Rio by um, you know look at whether it's homicides or other crimes, the uh, the sort of first cut makes Rio look like uh, you know, people would say if you're, you know, it looks like Rio's on fire. It looks like there's some crime everywhere, right? Um, mm, and right. Be, just starting to be, uh, so some of the insights that came out of this were being able to identify very specifically, you know, it's these corners at these times. And, you know, the, the, you know where is it that, uh, you know, where is it that, um, you know, the the highest proportion of crimes are actually starting to happen. And so that sort of basic sort of view of, of mapping, of sort of view of where things are, are occurring and, and seeing that uh, sort of manif- manifest itself over time. We see the, um, uh, you know, there are, uh, it turns out that, that, you know, the you can break the city up into sort of you know, thousands of little sectors uh, that are each very tiny. There are, uh, turns out, you know, some nuances to doing that. So 
the sectors are not all entirely clean. They don't actually, it's, you know, we, we'd like to you know, be able to divide them up into perfect, you know, tessellated squares, but actually, uh, you know, they tend to be, each one could be a little bit different. There's some overlap between them. And uh, so right. the, the, the nuance of actually, uh, and, they, and they vary a little bit, you know, depending on time of day. So actually you get a lot of very, you, well, on the one hand, you know, you can be more specific, but you also see variations, right? So that's, so, you know, that, that, that uh, definitely occurs. Um, you know, and, and another interest in, in power systems, one of the things that we've seen is so much work has been done uh, in a way that's called sort of deterministic, which is, you know, you think of these things as circuits and circuits have, you know, you have an input and output and you're like, you should be able to follow where the circuit right. goes and determine when something's going to fail. Like that, that's been done for long, you know, electricity has been around for a hundred years. It's been done for a long time. The, um, uh, as it turns out, that's, it has its limitations in another area where we've seen sort of, you know, the, the not as often pursued is the area we, we, we delve into, which is much more probabilistic. So I actually want to know the impact, not just of a particular, um, circuit, but also how it when, you know, which may vary by weather. Right? So very cold or very hot mm -hmm. or rainy or high wind, wind will definitely make a difference to the resistance. You know, all of these things, uh, have a, have an impact and the, uh, but it turns out not many people have actually done that work to sort of combine these deterministic systems, input, output, very clear, to probabilistic systems where it's like, hmm, I actually don't know, but I, I have some guess about what might happen, or some, some certainty and some relative uncertainty, and, and I need a, I, I can sort of better define what the range might be. Um, so we see that that's... Well, uh, nature is, uh, uh, yeah, nature is more probabilistic in nature, pun intended. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> than man-made type type stuff. So it seems like in order for us to progress, we have to integrate those two types of systems, deterministic and prob probabilistic, because that's where everything's going if we want to improve and emulate nature truly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and in fact, they, we we always forget, you know, no matter how much something is man-made, it lives in a, in our natural world, right? It lives right. on the planet right. Earth. It you know, they, it exists in an environment that's you know on the ground or in the sky, and and has and uh, and, and subjected to the laws of nature. And so, you know, the uh, uh, I think that that's sort of a big uh, sort of a, a big part of what we're trying to accomplish is is trying to combine those two things. And it's funny we we think of um, uh, AI is uh, if it is it, sort of at this point where it's really I, I think of it very much like uh, the internet was at the '90s. You know, the the internet had existed, you know, started in the '60s. It really only started to to take off and and have real applications started to develop for for consumers or for people in a wide range in the in the late 90s as both personal computers became popular and the web browsers made it easier to use you know we're kind of at that stage in in AI where you know uh you know the first AI systems would come, go back to the 50s but because we've now got uh enough sort of computing power and a lot of data has sort of evolved to kind of, you know, to be able to train systems. We're starting to see everything from Netflix to Amazon to, you know, self-driving cars, Google to, to uh, start, start to become commonplace, but we'll, we'll see even more of that in the next decade and applied to business systems, particularly. <clears throat> Another question about deterministic versus probabilistic systems. 
is I would guess AI is strongest in deterministic systems and does it have a problem with probabilistic systems or is it actually naturally good at them? I mean, what are you seeing? So that's actually the key breakthrough in the last uh, last decade or so, which is um, for many years, you know, the original AI systems or the original things that were called AI back in the 50s, 60s, I mean, you know, they were all rule-based, deterministic in a way. They were all like, if this happens, then this, right? They're very rule-oriented. And uh, there was a uh, there's a professor at UCLA named Judea Pearl who had this breakthrough around uh, being able to introduce uh, mathematically the concept of uncertainty. Uh, and because, it, you know, the uh, uh, so once you define mathematics around something, then you can teach a computer to do it, right? So the the common sense, you know, that every child might have about uh, about a particular you know um, problem or you know is is hard to codify un- until you have a mathematical way of describing it. And it was Pearl who actually came up with the disc- of, of how to do how to uh, introduce uncertainty and probability into these problem sets. And as a result, that's really why you've started to see in the last decade AI really take, I mean, it's one of the key reasons, one of the three key reasons you start, you see AI really take off in the, in, in the last decade is because of this, this sort of mathematical advance that, that starts to deal with this more probabilistic uncertainty kind of environment. Um, self-driving cars, for example, up until this moment, up until, you know, uh, you know, for many years, you, when, when, you would think driving is all about very clear rules. We have driving manuals and we have like licenses, you know, really uh, all, all self-driving cars when they were tested just on sort of the rule-based systems, they couldn't even go around uh, a closed track at, you know, five miles an hour, right? It was basically very little progress happened for decades. And then as soon as this sort of nuanced probabilistic kind of way came into and dealing with uncertainty and a few other, you know, obviously sensors and other things started to uh, emerge, all of a sudden, you know, you saw huge advances in how driving, self-driving cars going down the California highway at 70 miles an hour. Do people understand how AI can work within a probabilistic system? Do they give uh, the parameters probabilities? or ha- I mean, Can you go a little bit more not, without going too deep? Oh, yeah, yeah. For listeners, yeah. but yeah, so, little, can you explain a little bit more about yeah. it? Yeah, so that's uh, uh, also one of the you know, key... Um, so that's an important aspect, which is do you, how much do I need to know in advance, right? So uh, if I need to teach the system, I need to uh, give the system, here's the probabilities, right? You know, so here I'm, uh, then um, it's a lot of work. And if you can do it, then that's kind of the ideal, right? That's great if you could do it. But in many cases, I don't have that as a starting point. So the other alternative is, can I observe, sort of observational data. I see these things happen, and then I make up what my own probabilities might be, right, as a, as a result of that. And as I get new data, I change what the probabilities might be. So I, I learn over time. And, I, and that's the, the, um, so the, the, I mentioned mathematics is a big part of what's driving the sort of renaissance in AI right now. Data is the other, which is we now have, we do have actually a lot more sensors, and we do have uh, ways of storing that data in a way that we couldn't before. So now we, we because we have more samples, more data, it's easier. We, we have more robust uh, ways of being 
able to to come up with those have machines actually come up with those probabilities on the ground. So, an example is you know, over you know for the uh, teaching a, a computer to to read numbers that are on a piece of paper, for example, for you know thirty or forty years. That there was a really good standardized set of images. It had 2,000 images, and that was used to train, you know, lots and lots. Of, it was sort of the gold standard in 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 teaching uh, computers sort of how to read characters. Uh, you know, it turns out you have the internet. It turns out you you know you have people who can upload images very quickly. They can be stored for next to nothing. You know that that catalog grew over the course of ten years from uh, for five years from two thousand images. It stayed pretty static at two thousand images for a long time. It grew from two thousand images to over a hundred thousand images in five five years. And now, you know, as it turns out, all the machine learning, all the AI algorithms that we're trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, how what characters look like, that they they also improved by fifty times, right, as a result of having these bigger sets. And so. Um, you know, when uh, Google is another example where they, you know, the big, you know, they, there's a big, lots of articles about when they taught a computer to identify, uh, or when, when the computer taught itself, you know, to identify cats on the internet. And, you know, the reason why is because there were 10 million images of cats on the internet, as it turned out. And the, uh, you know, you, if you had historically where, up until recently, where would you have gone to get ten, 10 million images of cats, right? There was nowhere you could go. And now that's sort of freely available right. and, you know, it's easy easy to get a hold. So so your question about the, you know, how do you come up with the probabilities? It used to be there was no real way to do it. You had to teach it. You had to give it to somebody, you know, like hard code it or, or a person would have to tell you um, because there really wasn't enough data for a system to learn by itself those probabilities. Now there's kind of, that's the another big change, which is you can learn those or machine can learn those for themselves uh, because of the sort of proliferation of data and the availability of data. Okay. Well, very good. Um, so, I mean, there's, yeah, there's tons more to talk about, but I guess we're out of time. So can you give listeners um, some resources if they want to get in touch with you and uh, work with you on some projects or you know, maybe they have a project that they need help on to uh, gather the data and interpret it and throw AIs at it to fix it? Uh, sure. Uh, info at bsscience.com. Uh, so our URL is bsscience.com, all one word, and, and info at bsscience.com will get us. Uh, uh, will uh, will get will get to us. Where we have offices here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, as well as in Montreal, Canada, and uh, you know we'd be happy to uh, happy to answer questions or help on on uh, interesting areas as, as as much as people would like. Okay. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a good interview. I'd like to, uh, like I said, see some more use cases in the future and delve into details because AI is still very mysterious, even with these explanations. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, I, pre- I appreciate that, uh, uh, Rich. I, I will, um, you know, maybe maybe there'll be a future podcast. We can come back and, and uh, we have some interesting things that are in development. We will come back and, and do a second podcast with some, with some more detailed use cases. Yeah, maybe it'll be with your AI assistant. They'll, uh, exactly. Somebody else will be doing it. I'll be replaced already. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You have been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 
3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 